Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. Today we're going to interview Corey Miller, the leader of a very important college apologetics ministry called Ratio Christi. Corey grew up in Utah as a seventh-generation Mormon and came to Christ in high school. Dr. Miller holds master's degrees in philosophy, biblical studies, and philosophy of religion and ethics, and a Ph.D. in philosophical theology. He has taught nearly a 100 college courses at both secular and Christian universities, was on staff at Crew, and has served on pastoral staff at four different churches. He's also published in various journals and has written several books. His life is characterized by defending and proclaiming the truth of the gospel— in winsome and bold ways. Dr. Miller, welcome to the show. Hi, Roy. It is a privilege to be here with you. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, let's start at the beginning. Seventh-generation Mormon. Wow. (laughs) That is a unique legacy. Tell us briefly how the Lord saved you. So, yeah, some of my family say that I come from healthy stock, and what they mean by that (laughs) is that one of my ancestors had six wives, or five wives, sorry, and 36 children, of which I'm a descendant. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So, yeah, I was born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah, and knew nothing else, and had a friend that moved to California, invited me to go for the summer to spend at his home on the beaches, And it was conditioned on one thing. His father said we both had to go to this non-denominational Christian camp for one week, and he would pay for it, and then we could spend the whole summer at the beaches. Yeah, I went there, and the preacher spoke on hell that week, and Mm. I tell people it scared the hell out of me and heaven (laughs) right into me, literally. Wow. And then I was so captured by the gospel that I'd heard really for the first time. I mean, I knew Mm. Jesus Christ by name. I knew Mm. the gospel in name. But it never really resonated, never really made sense until I realized the consequences of my sin, which made the good news become very good Mm, news. And I saw the love of Christ displayed in people more than any time I had in the past growing up in religion. Mm. And it was so winsome and capturing to me that I packed my bags and I moved to California my junior year of high school where I was discipled in a church and by a youth pastor there. And yeah, it was a seminal time period in my life that rocked my world. Wow. I can imagine going back to your family and your roots where you grew up. What was their response? Mom and dad were both black sheep in their own respective families. And so neither of them were what you would call active Mormons or Mm. Molly Mormon would be Mm. the term in Utah. They still were Mormons, but more or less Jack Mormons, even though my extended family on both sides were very active Mormon. Hmm. And so I had the freedom to go ahead and do that my junior year of high school. When I came back from my senior year, that's when things started to get a bit rough because now I had extended family and friends and the culture reminding me that I may well have committed a 
big sin here, apostatizing from the truth that I knew was supposedly true. Mm. And my future was bleak. I could be a son of perdition and end up in a place worse than Hitler. Mm. And so I was challenged to reread the Book of Mormon again, this time for the sake of truth, not tradition. And I did. And that's when, for the first time, my eyes opened to the fact that I had been deceived for so long, and I wondered how in the world that was possible. But maybe now the Bible also was corrupt because I'd been told my whole life that it was, but it didn't matter because you had a living prophet in modern revelation. But now checking Hmm. out that claim, it made me wonder if the Bible was reliable, if God really existed, and if so, which God? Hmm. And that's what ended up sending me into the trajectory in philosophy and comparative religions, topics that I've taught at Indiana University for the last dozen years now. That's a fascinating arc or trajectory, the way you describe that. Let me go back for just a minute and fill in a detail in the beginning. When you were saved in California at that church camp, did you feel like, hey, I'm just adding some things to my Mormon religion and it's all going to fit together nicely? Or did you know at that time, hey, wait a minute, I am rejecting quote-unquote, the faith of my fathers, my Mormon tradition and legacy, I am rejecting that in order to accept Christ. No, there's no adding to. The Book of Mormon is supposed to be the most correct book ever, and you can grow closer to God by reading it and praying through it than anything else. And it's not that it's a reformation, it is a restoration So there's nothing to be added. It is the additive that was needed for 18 centuries since the priestly authority had long since passed with the death of the last apostles. Mm. Leaving Mormonism means you've just cut the lifeline from the one true religion and the true priestly authority to function and act for God. Baptisms, marriages are illegitimate outside of that priestly authority. So, so it's you, not, it's you not knew at the time, this is going to cost me. Yes. Wow. And then help me understand, so then when you went back and read the Book of Mormon after you were saved, was it just to double-check that there wasn't some truth in there, or was it to try and help be a bridge to the people in your extended family who were still in that religion and say— I've seen both sides now. I really understand the Book of Mormon, and I really understand the Bible. I'm going to try and help explain the differences and comparative, this comparative analysis. Yeah, when I was found by Jesus, when I came to Christ in 1988, I did so because the law and the gospel resonated with my soul at the time. I recognized I was not a good person. Hmm. I'd never reckoned with that as much as I had in the past. Coming to Christ was freeing. I knew my sins were forgiven. But if the whole thing was just a house of cards, it still didn't change the fact that I knew that I was headed down a bad trajectory. Mm. So I thought, maybe I just needed to get back on the straight and narrow because I wasn't living the upstanding Mormon life at the time. I see, I see. And maybe I just need to go through and reread the Book of Mormon and pray about it as the promise gives at the end of Moroni and... Maybe I would receive that burning in the bosom and confirmation back on the path. And so I genuinely was open at the time, wondering, 
maybe I had done the wrong thing. Maybe I just needed to stop living mm. the immoral life and start living the active Mormon life. Mm. It's fascinating. I know a lot of people have asked me about my background. And similar to you, I was absolutely lost in my sin. Christ mm. found me. I understood my sin. I repented. I received Christ as my Savior and my Lord. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about religion and about the Bible and about Christianity. But I didn't get there through an intellectual pursuit and say, you know what? I want to understand 100% truth. And I started with three, and then I went to 12, and then I went to 25. And once I get about 55, I'm like, oh, I know enough truth now to become a Christian. That's not how it happened for me at all. I met God, and I said, wow, I am so sinful in comparison to a holy God. What do we have to do to fix this? But then after that relationship was established— Then I threw myself into study. I read the Bible once, twice, three times. It wasn't enough. I could never get enough not only reading but studying the Bible. I was trying to form a biblical worldview that I had never even heard of. When I was saved, I didn't have a biblical worldview. I didn't know how to think about the world and about systems and philosophy and science and everything else the way God created it. But it's Mm -hmm. not the path that led me to Christ. I was led to Christ because of a personal experience. It sounds like maybe you came to Christ in the same way. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. And I really resonate with Paul when he said that without the law, there is no real knowledge of sin. The Mm. transgression is made evident, and the law is used as a schoolmaster to lead men to Christ. So I'd been told about Jesus my whole life. I mean, he was all over the Book of Mormon, Mm. another testament of Jesus Christ. But it never made sense until I realized my need for grace. Grace was utterly graceless, comparatively speaking. And when I was confronted with the reality that I knew inescapably that I was not a good person and I needed something like this new gospel, which really wasn't new, it was the historic gospel, (laughs) what it offered. Yeah. I've heard some people say, you can't really appreciate the good news until you understand the bad news. That's right. And I think that (laughs) there's so many times when... Especially in today's culture, nobody wants to come across with the downer. Nobody wants to say, hey, I've got some bad news. They just want to skip straight to the good news. And I think you said that in your testimony, that you didn't really appreciate that, the grace and the love of God, until you understood your own sin. So, wow, what a powerful testimony. So how did the Lord lead you from this kind of, you know, wrestling through your own thoughts and theology into leading an organization like Ratio Christi, which I think has a couple of hundred campuses across the whole United States at different colleges. What did that path look like? Well, in the process of going through a period of skepticism, wondering if God even existed, I entered into an engagement and exploration of comparative religions and philosophy, and eventually found in the discovery evidence and more truth that confirmed the Mm. path that I had recently taken, and that is to follow the biblical Jesus Christ of Mm. Scripture. Mm. And that got me really excited, and I really started thinking about eternity being heaven or hell, and seeing souls out there that needed Jesus. And so I became an evangelist. My Mm. heart of heart was to offer the message of Jesus to people 
and I was doing it in college classes. I got kicked out for that. I had to go legal <laughs> as an undergrad in Utah and, um, and then would do it on the university campuses at the University of Utah and downtown and the Mormon Temple. Eventually, I became a pastor, youth pastor up in the Northwest, went to Bible College Seminary, got claustrophobic, wanted to go on again for more evangelism, switched to philosophy, down to Southern California to attend Talbot Theological Seminary with an MA in philosophy so that I could set myself up for one day, Hmm. possibly going on for a PhD in philosophy where I could talk to people about truth, goodness, beauty in Hmm. the universities. And pastored a little while longer, taught theology, and then finally sent off, got accepted at Purdue University in the philosophy program, and figured that's what I needed to gain the club card, to gain access to the (laughs) castle. Yep. (laughs) Um, And six weeks into it, I am getting prank calls at three o'clock in the morning, mocking me for my faith. By the end of the fifth year, I was all but dissertation, and my PhD was sabotaged. I was told I had too much of a faith perspective. And (laughs) so I wanted to know who was going after professors at that time and joined one of the two ministries that were going after professors, Campus Crusade, and ran the faculty ministry for several years at Purdue while teaching philosophy comparative religions at Indiana University and working on a PhD a second time through through a British university, Aberdeen. I had to go through legal proceedings then as a professor at Indiana University, found obstacles in the PhD the second time through, but I finished it. And two months later, this organization, Rachel Christie, called me up and said, hey, we've got an opening for president CEO. Are you interested? Wow. I figured it was an organization that I resonated with in terms of its desire for apologetics evangelism being an evangelistic apologist myself, and they also like to fight for truth. Mm. And I had already done that as an undergrad, as a professor, and then I had no recourse as a PhD student. But I firmly believe that, like Paul, who appealed to Caesar for his Roman citizenship, that we have a theology of litigation. And so this organization not only defends the faith, but defends the ability to defend the faith, Mm. All the way up to the Supreme Court, and right now we're litigating with the Biden administration's Department of Education with a group of atheists who filed suit to push back on religious groups on campus for believing religious things. Go figure. (laughs) Uh, uh, We have a high school ministry. We've got a professor's ministry. We are international in Pakistan, in South Africa, Canada, the UK, several other places, we're on a hundred and about a hundred and fifty campuses now. Wow, wow! And what would you say are the biggest challenges that, as an organization, that you are seeing across all of the campuses? What What are the big things that you're coming up against? Well, apart from everybody's challenge with COVID and campus sure. closure, nonetheless, we still see dozens of people on a single campus receive Christ during that time. Mm. But I would say two battlefronts. One are the ideas at the secular university. It is the secular baptismal font for a reason. You know, Christian (laughs) parents, you know, train their kids in the way they should go. And the secularists have found a brilliant way to get Christian parents to pay for the apostasy of their own children. Mm. So Mm. it's not just the scientism that's happening at the universities, but a new king is in town now, and that is critical theory or cultural Marxism. Sure. Quickly 
taken root as the paradigm authority, even forcing some of the new atheists to submit. And then the other one is with churches. A book was written many years ago by Mark Knoll called The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And the scandal is that there isn't much of an evangelical mind these days, unfortunately. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so wow. we're too interested in skinny jeans and fog machines in our churches. Wow. And so mm. although we may exhibit the head or the heart and the hands of Christ, we've excommunicated the head of Christ. And so we have not taught mm. our students well. And as a result, generation after generation are going into these secular baptismal fonts and you train them up in the way they should go. And when they get older, they get conscripted to work for the other side. So many parents and grandparents' hearts are being broken and our culture downstream is radically changing. And it's because of what's happening upstream. As goes the university, so goes the culture. As goes the U.S. university, so goes the world. Wow. To jump to the solution, and maybe we'll go back and do a little more of the analysis, but what gives you hope then with such odds stacked against us? What gives you hope? I know how the story ends. I know that we have a mission and we have truth on our side, but I don't know how it ends in America. I know that if we do not reclaim the intellectual voice of Christ at the most influential institution in civilization, we have thrown in the white flag and we mm -hmm. might as well just give up now. We've been called to hold the line at the battlefront of the world of ideas and come what may, we're going to either hold the line or seek to advance the cause of Christ. God is sovereign in history. But we have a lot of potential still. We still have this thing called the U.S. Constitution, which gives us freedom, contrary to what a lot of the universities think. We do mm. have that freedom. Mm. And we even have many atheists and classical liberals that see what's happening in this cultural revolution in our country. And alliances make strange bedfellows and make strange opportunities for proclamation of truth, but that mm. is happening right now too. So alliances are changing dynamics right now in our culture through postmodernism, through scientism, and through critical theory. Those are the three most broad ideas going through the universities, but they also are especially critical race theory in particular, or critical queer theory and gender theory into the churches as well. So you know, I do see that there is a battlefront in the churches right now. In the past, we would struggle with pastors finding, giving us a place of hospitality rather than hostility, mm. because apologetics tends to turn off some Christians, thinking that you're too much like Spock in Star Trek. Right? You, <laughs> you can't relate to most people, and it's irrelevant, and everyone wants to be part of Relevant Magazine, and mm. they're not equipping our people. So we are not wanting to make intellectual fatheads. We just want to represent or represent a historic Christian faith. Jesus commanded us to love God with our minds, and a fully orbed, fully integrated apprentice of Jesus operates with the head, the hands, and the heart of Christ. And right now, we're getting pounded in the universities and in the education sector by secularists. And unfortunately, many pastors and youth pastors are not doing their jobs, and mm. they are not equipping people, not just failure for thriving, but even to survive. 
in these secular universities where the ratio of left to right professors is between 12 to 1 and 23 to 1. And that is exactly the heart in which our apologetics ministry here in Portland was birthed. Was mm. There's so many Barna studies about 60% of the kids raised in the church leave the faith when they go to college, or 70% or 80%. I think one of them was 88%. Right. So we just looked around and said, what in the world? We're spending all this time raising our kids to be Christians, and then, like you said, we send them off to the baptismal font of secularism or anti-Christian ideas. We pay for it, and then we get back a kid that hates us, hates God, and is off living their life to everything opposed to what God would have for them, and the Mm -hmm. wonderful, beautiful, amazing, fulfilled life that God has prepared for them. I know there was one a book, I think I heard you talking about this, Reviving Evangelism by the Barna Group. I thought it was a fascinating observation that they asked a group of Christians and non-Christians the same question, what was the one factor that would increase your interest in Christianity the most for atheists? And the Mm -hmm. atheists said the number one thing would be if Christianity had better evidence to support it. I want to Mm -hmm. look at the evidence. I want to engage with the arguments. And what was fascinating was that when you interviewed Christians and said, hey, what do you think the number one factor is for what atheists want to see that would make them more interested in Christianity? Evidence of Christianity, that reason, logic, debate, and arguments, Christians ranked that dead last. And so I thought, how are we so out of touch with the culture? The culture is asking us. They're saying, I want reasons. I want debate. I want intellectual arguments. And the church is saying, no, that's our last priority. How did we miss that boat? How are we so out of touch? Well, again, in the effort to be relevant, and long before that, we excommunicated the life of the mind of Christ, seeking only for relationships and relevance and authenticity, all good things, but truth needs to be a factor in that as well. (laughs) Our own Christian sociologists got the data correct, but they misinterpreted it because of a bad caricature of what apologetics, what a reasoned faith is. Oh my goodness. Ah, that breaks my heart. People still don't understand what apologetics really is all about. Well, as a kind of follow-on question, is it okay to send my Christian student to a secular university that they're just going to be indoctrinated and they're going to be torn away from me? Or is it a must? Should every Christian parent send their kids to a Christian university? How would you answer that question? You send them to any university at this point, you need to be ready. And so for parents to send their child off to any university without having trained them as their first priority as parents to be the trainers of their own children, Mm. you are sending your children to Molech. You have got Mm. to look into the particular school you're going to. If you go to Harvard, you know what you're going to get. You think if you send your kid off to a Christian institute, they're going to be fine. But that would be naive and deceptive, Mm. self-deceptive, because Mm. this critical theory, which is not critical thinking, anything but, (laughs) is finding its way into evangelical circles by co-opting our ethic, calling it social justice and compassion of what would Jesus do. Paul told us to beware of false philosophy 
Mm. So there are organizations you can reach out to, Rosh Christie being one of them, that can give you heads or tails on certain seminaries. Well, thank you, Dr. Miller, for all of your insights and discussion today on our show. Thank you for all the work that you're doing across the country to try to lift up the name of Christ and the bastion of truth. Thank you for being on the show today, and God bless everything that that you guys are doing. Thank you, and if people want to know more how they can get involved with the movement, join us on campus, equip your students, but equip them to not just survive but to thrive and help us reclaim the intellectual voice of Christ, it is ratiochristi.org, R-A-T-I-O-C-H-R-I-S-T-I.org. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, how about you? Have you spent your whole life in church hearing sophisticated sermons and complex hermeneutics but feel like you still don't have a firm grasp on the basics of a Christian worldview? Well, you can visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com for more resources to help you put it all together into a consistent way of thinking that makes sense of the world around us. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 